You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Happy Sunday. What a beautiful, beautiful day. I am, I am digging this weather. Last uh, week, Chad uh, talked to us about how the, how the kingdom of God, he used that term, is how heaven is ushered into our realm by way of seed. And seeds are like thoughts. You get a seed thought. Seeds are like simple, kind, small acts of kindness and grace. And the kingdom of God or the the realm of heaven moves to earth through these seeds. See, God has always desired for us to experience the wonder and the beauty and the freedom of his realm. He's always wanted us to know what that's like. And the Bible calls that the kingdom of heaven. Today, I want to look at the very first miracle that Jesus performed, that we have record of, the very first miracle that he performed. And I want to explore how actually it informs us on how the kingdom of God is ushered to the earth, okay? It's very, very cool. At first, you're going to say, well, you know what? That sounds boring. Well, it's, it's actually really cool when you begin to unpack it. Let's look at John chapter 2. I'm going to read um, 11 verses for you. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone... Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the, by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after guests have had too much to drink. But you has saved the best until now. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first sign through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I think it's interesting that, that, that John, he, he, he refers to this miracle as a sign. It's a sign. It's pointing to something. Jesus could have done something really loud and very public spectacular, his coming out party. You know what? I'm here. And when I first began to look at this, 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 this story, I began to think to myself, why would God ordain this kind of private, simple, not life-threatening situation to reveal his glory? Why would he do that? And that's what I kind of led me down this road, and that's, that's what I'm hoping to answer for you today. It starts out and he says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. On the third day, that's, that's Tuesday. 
Sunday's the first day, and Tuesday's the third day. And in ancient Jewish culture, um, Tuesday was the day they got married. You, you know, here, like in our, in our world, for the most part, Saturday is our wedding day, right? Sometimes Sunday, but almost a lot of time it's Saturday. But the Jews, they picked Tuesdays to get married. And the reason they chose Tuesday to get married is because um, in the creation account, after God had created on the first day, he looked at what he made and he said, it's good. And then on the second day, he looked at all that he created and he said, it's good. And then on the third day, he looked at all that he created and twice he said, it's good. It's the only day that he said it's good twice. And so ancient Jewish culture, they, they said, you know, this day is doubly blessed. So if we're going to start a life together, let's start it on the third day. And commentators, uh, they suggest that John is very, very intentional about beginning the story with on the third day. Can you think of another part of Christ's story that begins on the third day? The Bible says on the third day, the women went to the tomb on the third day. And they found it empty because he had risen on the third day. The third day points to an act of divine intervention. Three is the number of the Holy Spirit. Is it possible that John is trying to connect his readers, for his readers, he's trying to connect this first miracle with something that's going to happen in three years from now? And most commentators say, yes, that's exactly what he's trying to do. It's interesting, I... Um, I learned a lot, by the way. If you ever want to, to, to read a book that unpacks so much of the cultural history and the practices of first century Jews, um, Brian Zand wrote a book. I read it a couple of years ago called Water to Wine, and I learned a lot from him. It's brilliant. Um, most weddings, I've, I've, if you're a minister in Kelowna, you're officiating, you're officiating weddings, and, and most weddings, and I've married a bunch of you in here, uh, or I've officiated your weddings. Um, and most weddings that I, I'm part of these days last 25 minutes, right? 25 minutes. If you're my age and you had to go to weddings when you were young, those suckers lasted like an hour and something. My own wedding was an hour and 20 minutes. My wife's and my wedding. Like it, they, because the minister felt like he had to teach. Right. And that's why on America's Funniest Videos, you see brides, grooms and I mean, bridesmaids and groomsmen passing out because it just went on forever. And, and a reception, an average reception lasts about what, four or five hours. But in the first century, a Jewish wedding would go on for days, for literally days. They would party for days. They would, they would get a rabbi who would perform a ceremony, right? And, and there'd be a blessing. There'd be vows. Um, they would go mazel tov. And, 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 and then you know how in today, you know, after the ceremony, uh, the bride and groom slip off for pictures, right? That's pretty normal. In the first century, they would slip away, but it wasn't for pictures. Okay, this is really weird, okay? Because they would put a tent up right there. 
right in the middle of the celebration. The tent is right there. It's a tent. There's no insulation in a tent. And the bride and groom would go, I do, I do, we do, mazel tov. And, and then and they would leave and they would go right to the tent. And do you know what they did in the tent? They, 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 they consummated the marriage in the tent. I don't know what everybody else is doing, but these two are, you know, they come out after they've done the deed and, you know, you know, like, you know, we did it. Like, I'm thinking, how awkward is that? Wow, that's weird. You know what? But then the celebration begins. Then the celebration begins. And, um, and they would begin to celebrate. In a shame and honor culture, which is consistent with the, the ancient Jewish cultures, a wedding was an opportunity for great uh, honor. You know what? If you, you got a spectacular party and you, you, you put it all out there and, the, and the, the, the neighborhood shows up and you serve them well, you, you, you created a great environment for a fantastic party, you would be held in high esteem. In the, you can move up the food chain in terms of your status in the culture. And so there's opportunity for honor, but it was an incredible opportunity also for shame and cultural alienation. If the party was a bust, honestly, they would talk about it for years. You would go down in infamy as the worst wedding ever in the community because people never forget a bad party, right? And so in this story, um, there in the first day, when, when something catastrophic happens, they run out of wine. They run out of wine. This is terrible. There is so much at stake here. You don't even know. And so they run out of wine. And Jesus' mother can see what's going on. She goes, oh, my goodness. This poor, they've run out of wine. You don't even hear about this stuff. It doesn't happen. Not the first day. And Jesus response to his mother is, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hours are not come. If I called my mom woman, I'm, I'm telling you what, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't be talking for a few minutes after that. Woman? If I call my wife woman, that makes for a lot of cold nights. Uh, woman, okay? But he, he says, woman, you know, in, in English, it sounds like this is a rebuff. It sounds rude and harsh, but this is what it sounds like. In the Greek, he's not saying, that's not my problem. In the Greek, he is saying, Mom, it's not a problem. My time has not yet come. What is he talking about? He said, I don't have to die yet. I got time. I got time for this. This is not a problem. And that's why she says to the service, whatever he says, you do. Right? Very cool. Never saw that before. And Jesus is now, the servants are staring at him. And now it's his time to do. And he sees these six large stone watering pots. What are they doing there? Well, these watering pots are for um, Jewish uh, purification practices. And, 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 and the, 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 it's called the mikvah, okay? 
And what the Jews would do to, to commemorate and to prepare for different rites of passage and things like that, they, they, would, they would go into these, these baptistries, these stone baptistries, and they would fill them up with those big jars. They're like 30 gallons each. And then they would baptize themselves. They would go, they immerse themselves seven times. And they'd be saying a prayer the entire time. And it was a practice that they did fairly regularly. But the reason those were there, because that's exactly what a bride would do in preparation for her wedding. She would go and she would purify herself so that she could give herself to her husband as a pure wife, as a pure bride. And Jesus sees these big stone jars and he gets an idea. And he says, why don't you guys go fill those up with water? This is no small thing. You take 105 gallons of water from a well and you put them in jars and then you haul them back to the wedding. Where, how, that all took time. And so um, then Jesus, he, he, he says, take some water out of, the, out of these things. And they filled them right to the top. And he said, take some water and take it to the master of the banquet. Now think about this. It's because the servants obey him. Because the servants obey him, they get a front row seat on Jesus' first miracle. That's the thing. Your simple, your small acts of obedience, they put you on the front row of heaven touching earth. Of God's resources making provision for our needs. Your simple acts of obedience, I believe, are the greatest acts of warfare you could possibly ever engage in. Simple acts of obedience. And the master of the banquet, he, he calls, he tastes the water that's turned into wine. And, and, and then he, he, he calls to the groom. He says, come over here. And the groom comes over. He has no idea what's going on. And the master of the banquet goes, you, you are amazing. You, in my life, I've never seen this before. You served us great wine early in the day. And now you bring out this wine. It's the best wine you bring. You are one class act. We will be talking about you for years to come. Nobody does this. The bride, it's, it's funny, in this one, this first miracle that revealing God's glory was reserved for the servants and the disciples, that's it. The important people at the wedding saw nothing. This miracle, as in so many miracles, are reserved for the servants. I'll tell you what, you, you, you want to be served, go ahead, knock yourself off, find somebody to serve you. But you want to experience God's resources, things of heaven, the, 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 the realm of heaven touching earth, then you become a servant. And you give front row seats, and he reserves so many of those things for those who will just give of themselves. And John, he, like I said, he doesn't call it a miracle. He calls, calls it a sign. And as we know, signs are not significant in and of themselves, but they point to something. That's what's significant. And so I began asking myself that, that Jesus' first miracle is to generously keep a wedding well-stocked in wine. How is that a sign? Man, I... I, I would never even preach this 20 years ago. 
because it wasn't wine 20 years ago. It was grape juice 20 years ago, right? It might still be grape juice for you. Don't get bent out of shape, but it's, it is whatever you want it to be because it really doesn't matter. The point is, keeping a wedding well-stocked in wine, how does that point to anything? Well, think about this. In the Old Testament, the, the abundance of wine was a sign of God's blessing. It was a sign of God's presence. Likewise, if a vineyard was ruined, it was a sign of God's absence from the situation, of him not being present. The prophets of old, when they imagined the Messiah coming, when they imagined that heaven would touch earth, they, they used pictures like this. They said, the vats will overflow with wine. The mountains will drip with sweet wine. And God will make a feast of rich food and aged wine. See, in this secretly incredible act, Jesus is fulfilling all kinds of prophecies. And at the very same time, ushering in the reign of God to the human race. It's incredible when you think about it. You see, wine's also a beautiful, like I said, picture of presence. And Israel had a rich history of good wine. Do you remember when they were being led out of Egypt, out of slavery? They, they were led by, God's presence was rich. He, he, he came to them. He was present in a, in a cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. And because the cloud was there and the pillar were there, the provision was there, protection was there, God's presence was there. And, and then you, you, you see God's presence all through the Old Testament with Israel, especially like I think of Samuel. The anointing of God, the presence of God was with Samuel. And the, the people knew the direction and guidance would come because God was with them. And then King David, oh my. You know, the, he, the Spirit of God came on him. The Bible said he was filled with the Spirit. And out of him poured these beautiful psalms that give voice to the, the, you know, our praise and our worship. And then you have Elisha and Elijah. And, and the, the, the people knew that God was with them. It's presence. But then the wine ran out. And do you know before Jesus came, there was 500 years where there was no wine. No manifest presence. The, the, the heavens were brass. The people went into a desert season for five, five centuries. No wine. Do, do you understand that that makes sense? Because, because when John the Baptist shows up, and John the Baptist, the, the, you know what? The wine started to pour with John the Baptist. The Bible says he was filled with the Spirit, even when he was in his mother's womb. And heaven is starting to pour out on this crazy guy, right? And he goes out into the wilderness, and Israel knows that it's starting to pour again. And his anointing and his presence was so rich. They ran out into the wilderness, and they listened to his words, and they could feel God's presence, God's anointing on him. And they ran to the waters of baptism. They ran to repentance. And John said, you guys, this, I am not the main event. I'm an opening band, man. The, the main event is coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You, you think this is outpouring? You, 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 you wait. Those stone 
jars were a prophetic picture of three years where Jesus would literally be poured out. Heaven's resources poured out through the Son of God. Poured out on the people. The grace of God is poured out on a people who had no grace. They just had the law, the cruel, harsh law that pounded on them, beat them on, said, obey or go to hell. Obey or go to hell. And Jesus came to these people who were without grace and he poured grace onto them. He came where their health had run out and he, he poured heaven's life onto them where faith had run out. He gave them heaven's faith and where love had run out, he gave them God's divine love. Now th I thought about this. You know why Jesus was at the wedding? so simple. He was invited. That's it. He was invited. When the groom and the bride invited Jesus to the wedding, they had no idea that he was bringing heaven's treasure with him. They had no idea that he was bringing heaven with him to the wedding. Let me ask you this. Why don't you invite Jesus into your mess? Why don't, you, you know that thing you're into right now, the thing you're in the middle of right now? Why don't you just, don't tell him what to do either. Just invite him into your mess. Invite him into your thing. And when you get Jesus, you get the unlimited resources of heaven. Why don't you just invite him in? Because he has saved the best for last, I promise you. In Acts chapter 2, get this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. What is that? That is heaven being poured out on a human heart. That is heaven being poured out on a human mind. You begin to see what he sees. You begin to say what he says. You begin to become the conduit ushering the reality of heaven to this realm. I love it. Jesus said, that if you believe in me, as the scripture said, he said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This first sign, this first miracle, is also a picture of the life that you are and I are invited into. He invites us to, 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 to be poured out for people. He invites us to, to be people that open ourselves to, to, to heaven being poured onto our hearts and then pouring out on others and becoming conduit for the reality of heaven to touch this earth. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. I have a friend um, in Calgary. Actually, he's not in Calgary anymore. But I have a friend, his name's Malaku. Malaku spent the first 35 years of his life in abject poverty in Ethiopia. I mean, we, we, I think I know what poverty is, but 
I don't know what poverty is. And the miracle of his story is that he, he felt stirred that he was to pastor a church in Canada. And somehow he found a way to contact an Ethiopian congregation in Calgary, Alberta, and they helped him come to Canada. And for the next five years, he was looking and trying and with all of his energy to pastor a church, an Ethiopian church, and the doors closed. Nobody wanted him. He worked in a high school. He worked in a high school as a caretaker. That's where I got to know him. And he's a very shy man, very tiny guy, very shy. Uh, he's very quiet. He always worked in the evening so that he, he, he could pray. And that's just what he did. That was just this guy. And I've heard and I've, I, I know this is because I worked at that school. And he would be sweeping and cleaning and mopping and doing what he did. And every now and then he'd be drawn to a desk and he'd sit in the desk and he'd just pray. He'd pray for as long as he needed to pray. And then he'd get up and keep working. I was a counselor in that school and I know and I've experienced where students sitting in that chair the next morning would just break. And, and, and they bring that student to me and then I was, I learned after a while to check where he's praying. I said, you got to tell me in advance who you're praying so I can kind of figure out what my morning looks like. No doors opened for him. And so for five years, he just cleaned floors and prayed. And one day, a man came to the school to pick up his kids. And Mulaku saw him. The guy's name is Ralph. And he saw him down the hallway and Mulaku's heart jumped. He, he knew that something was stirring Getting over his shyness and having a conversation with Ralph took a couple weeks. And then he found out that Ralph's actually a Christian. He's a dentist. He's a Christian. He's After they first talked, Malaku had a dream. And in the dream, he saw himself and Ralph having a conversation with the president of Ethiopia. But he never told Ralph the dream. Over time, they became friends and started praying together. And even before a year went by, Ralph and Malaku flew to Ethiopia because Ralph said, we've got to do something for the people from your village. That kind of poverty is just not acceptable. We've got to do something. The plane landed and the doors opened and two um, government officials came onto the plane and hauled Ralph and Malaku off the plane put them in a security area and began to badger them with questions. Why are you here? Why are you here? What's your business? What's your business? And they explained this. We're going to see his village because we think we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to help the people. Next thing you know, they've been thrown into a car and they're driving. They pull up to the parliament buildings. They're led up the stairs and the doors open and there's the president of the country. He introduces himself. He said, I heard that you're here to help my people. He said, please, before you leave my country, come and see me one more time. And that year or that trip, Ralph and Malaku, they're, they're wandering around and visions and dreams and thoughts and ideas popping like popcorn in them. Well, we could do this and then we could do that. We could do that. And before they left the country, they went back and they met with the president. And he said, what did you see and what did you feel? 
And they told him, and he said, would it help if I gave you 2,000 acres of land in, near that village? And they said, that'd be just fine. Thank you very much. That was 12 years ago. That was 12 years ago. Today, Malaku is pastoring in Ethiopia. They built a reservoir. They were able to channel waters from underground aqueducts and, and they, this enormous reservoir and people began to come and build lives around the reservoir. They built a clinic and doctors come from all over the world and volunteer their time and dentists come and optometrists come. They built a school. There's hundreds of kids that would never have an education. They come from all over the country to get an education in a school that Ralph and Malaku built. They have an orphanage. All of that happened because two guys decided to open their hearts and say, God, what would you pour out on us? And then they took everything that was poured out on them and they poured it out on the people of Ethiopia. They didn't have the dentists don't make that much money. They just started with whatever they had. And social media is a good thing. They began to tell people about it. And pretty soon people started getting on board. And that's how you usher heaven to earth. Why don't we stand together? We're going to pray. Don't, you know that thing that's inside of you, that dream, that is not a small thing, man. And it's not even just for you. It's for the people that dream was meant to touch. That thing inside of you, it's a seed, I know. It doesn't feel significant. It doesn't even feel important. But it's a seed, and I promise you this, if you will step into it, if you will trust the Lord, with it, if you will pour that seed out on somebody else, God will multiply it, and he'll use it. So, Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you... You showed up at this wedding. And I thank you that you, we invite you into our not enoughness. Lord, our, we run out so often. And we invite you to come. And we invite you to pour your, the Father's love, your love on us. And as you're doing that, I pray that these seeds would germinate and start growing in us. And Father, give us courage and faith to step into the things that you have put in our lives and put in our hearts. At the very end, it says that the disciples, they saw and they believed in Jesus. And I pray, Father, that people will watch our lives and they will believe in you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.